Good morning, everyone, and a very warm welcome to morning worship for the third Sunday in Lent. Our service this morning will be led by our Minister Katrina, and this week everything we need to follow the service, including the words of all the hymns, will appear on the screen behind me. Uh, no printed orders of service this morning. Please stay and have some tea or coffee at the end of the service. Um, as I mentioned in the email I sent out yesterday, we're doing it slightly differently uh, now. We will have uh, whoever's on tea and coffee duty will be pouring the tea and, and the milk for you. Just hold up your cup and it will be filled uh, and you won't have to touch anything yourself. And then you'll notice too that the biscuits uh, are individually wrapped uh, this week. Who'd have thought that the first silver lining of a global pandemic would have been chocolate biscuits? Um, please note uh, that our evening service has been cancelled and all evening services have been cancelled uh, for the month of March and probably until further notice, but I'll keep you up to date about that. Uh, Katrina has also decided to suspend the Lent craft group, so if you've been part of that, please note that the rest of the series will not go ahead on Thursday evenings. Um, a little bit of family news. Um, Talash uh, flew back to Glasgow from Nairobi uh, via Dubai last week, so she's having to self-isolate for 14 days and is already feeling pretty cut off from the world. So if you had time to drop her a wee email just to say that you're thinking of her or a wee card, I think that would be great. All her details are in the directory. Speaking of which, if you've mislaid your copy of the directory, there are spare copies just by the door. Um, please don't rummage through them, just pick up one if you need it, uh, and if you decide you don't need it later, please still take it with you, don't put it back. Uh, we're just trying to avoid passing things from hand to hand. And as you already know, therefore our offerings should be deposited in a little basket by the door to the suite. So if you forgot to do that on the way in, during the first hymn, perhaps you might just pop back and put your offering in the basket by the door. Then we had a note from Christine Kling, our friend who did her placement with us, who is now pastoring a church on the outskirts of Paris. You may have seen that um, the French government has closed all churches, and so uh, Christine's church is one of those, and she's just asking for our prayers and to remember her. And she says to us, may we know God's love and peace and be a beacon of hope for our neighbours in this special moment. Um, Katrina is going to make a point over these coming days of just keeping in touch with us all. She's going to be working her way through that directory, just phoning each of us in turn, uh, especially those of us who live on our own, just to make sure that all is well. So um, don't get a fright if you get a call from Katrina. There is nothing wrong. <laughs> She's just saying hello. And obviously at the moment we can't say anything with confidence about um, meeting in the future, but what I can assure you is that we listen very carefully to Scottish Government uh, advice and guidelines and we will abide by them. But in these coming days, it will be really important that we support one another and keep in touch with one another. So again, can I suggest, if, you, if you've lost your directory, don't be embarrassed to take another copy as you're leaving today. These, I think, are all our notices. Thank you very much, Anne. As you would appreciate, we are having to think on our feet and change things as we go along. And there are always balances to be struck. I, as you know, I used to be a professional risk assessor back in the day. And we used to talk about um, a carrot diagram. 
I should have brought one to show you, but if you can imagine an upside-down triangle with a point at the bottom and a Y bit at the top, the top of it is an unacceptable risk. There's no way you'd do that. The bottom of it is no risk at all. And you kind of put a bit in the middle, and that's where we are, where we're trying to get as low as we can, as low as we can, um, without, because it's all multiply complicated, you know, we don't want to make people isolated and cut off and, and feel nobody loves them, um, because there is, there is importance in human contact, but at the same time, we have to keep each other safe and well. And the advice we're getting does change, so what we do might have to change to reflect, reflect that. So I would ask you, please, especially to pay for Anne, because she's the one who's communicating all that information, and that's no small undertaking to keep up to date with stuff, to check it out and decide how we're going to progress. Today's service is not quite the one that I planned. That won't surprise you um, in the circumstances. However, it's the same readings, the same hymns, and by the grace of God, I hope there is something that we will all find of interest and perhaps helpful. And our opening scriptures come from Psalm 65. This is what the psalmist writes. You care for the land and water it. You enrich it abundantly. The streams of God are filled with water to provide the people with corn, for so you have ordained it. You drench its furrows and level its ridges. You soften it with showers and bless its crops. You crown the year with your bounty and your carts overflow with abundance. The grasslands of the wilderness overflow. The hills are clothed with gladness. The meadows are covered with flocks and the valleys are mantled with corn. They shout for joy and they sing. And so we're going to sing a hymn that some of us know but maybe is not that familiar. As water to the thirsty, as beauty to the eyes, so is my Lord, my living Lord, so is my Lord to me.
And so we're going to come to God in prayer, as we usually do, and I'm going to lead us in a prayer. And at the end of that, of course, we are going to share together in the Lord's Prayer. And it just struck me, especially at this time, how important it is that we have that prayer embedded in our hearts, that even if we are apart, if we're at home, we can pray that prayer, knowing that we are connected with others from our congregation, but also throughout the world. So let's pray together. And when we get to that point, please, in the heart form, will be fantastic. Gracious God, who provides all that is needed for life on earth, and more than this, who blesses us with reckless abundance, we gather in the name of Christ, sometimes described as living water, to worship you. Generous God, there is so much for which we should give and could and should offer our thanks. We're blessed with shelter from the elements and sufficient warmth, clothing and sustenance. We have access to televisions, radio, the internet and other means of learning about the world's affairs. We have telephones and a postal system allowing us to communicate with family and friends, even when they are physically far away. And more than this, we have education and healthcare free at the point of delivery, available for all people. For these and countless other blessings, we give you our thanks. Grieving God, as you look upon your beloved creation, how you must weep. Humankind has plundered and poisoned the planet that is our home. Oceans rise, rivers flood, villages are washed away. And elsewhere, deserts get bigger, rivers dry up, and other communities face starvation. And now, a new virus spreads across the world, living both fear and anger in its wake. Those with health, wealth, and mobility are able to stockpile food and lavatory paper whilst the poorest and most vulnerable of people are left cold, hungry, and alone. For our complacency, indifference, and ignorance, we seek your forgiveness. Gentle God, who holds all creation in your embrace, and who draws us into the ongoing work of creation and recreation, Hear us now as we join our voices in the words Jesus taught his followers, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation,
So it's really great having Nicola with us at the moment. And of course, you've read a little bit about Nicola um, in the key, and you've got to know her a little bit. She's very good at chatting to people. But I thought it would be interesting this morning to interview Nicola, and also particularly because there's a project she's involved with, which just kind of connected with where I thought we were going this morning. And you know what? I think, by the grace of God, it still does. Yeah. So I've um, got some pictures that Nicola sent me, and I'm going to ask her some questions, and that's going to be a kind of an interview. So here is a beautiful photograph um, of the Isle of, of Butte. Yeah. So can you tell me, Nicola, in a couple of sentences, just what is the best thing about island life? The best thing about island life is definitely its community. Okay. It's part of the reason why I moved there is um, you still live with each other. Thank you. And is there a downside to island life? Um, I didn't ask her this one in advance, so she's got to think on her feet. No. No? Oh, there you go. Right, that's good. Yeah. So a, a real sense of community. That's wonderful. Thank you. And you, you also sent me these photos, which I have to admit, at first sight, don't look very exciting. Can you tell me what, what, what this is about? Okay, so I'm involved with a community called Runa Ringen, and we are... The nearest words for it are we are a monastic-minded community where we pray in a cycle. And we meet on the 16th, which is tomorrow, uh, and we meet outside. We go to this place that's called Ninian's Point, which is on the island, obviously. And um, these are the two wells, which nobody knows where they came from. So we presume that they're ancient um, and these are what we believe is holy wells. The Catholic Church used to take their holy water from these oh. years ago. Brilliant. So, um, yes, this is, a, this is a well that I sit at before I go to the chapel. Um, I sit on this rock here, and the view I have is actually those mountains. And before I go into the chapel, this is a place where I have naturally just come to repent. And, and you sent me this text, um, which is actually very beautiful, isn't it? Your people yes. will, re will rebuild the ancient ruins and will raise up the age-old foundations. You will be called the repairer of broken walls, restorer of streets with dwellings. That's, that's a lovely text for us to ponder. And I, I get some yeah. of the community thing of the island there as you build yeah. community and rebuild and build up one another. Yeah. Uh, well, and the chapel yeah. itself is just ruins. Okay, so, so the hope is perhaps to physically yeah. rebuild one day? Um, the the building that you saw in the other picture, which is actually, yeah, the chapel is here behind these, and it's just Oops. behind the bear. Sorry, that one. And this building here is actually um, an old fish house, ah. but we believe that they've used some of the stones from the original chapel to build this. Ah. So this is because it's not a monument. Yeah, this is what we might hope in the future to build. Brilliant. And um, beautiful symbols here. Can you tell me a little bit about the symbols? Okay, well, first of all, this is the altar that's inside the, the ruined chapel. Um, it, has been, um, it has been excavated. And what was quite unusual about this chapel is that they found slate kneeling places at the altar. Um, they also found some remains at the door and things like that. So it's quite interesting if you want to look further into it. And when we first started coming together, which is about two and a half years ago now, um, officially since the 14th of September last year, um, 
because we were actually a group of, we were all Baptists actually, we felt it was okay to share uh, bread and wine. So our first communion, that's the picture there, it was very special, realising it's probably the first time in many years that communion has actually happened there. Wonderful. Brilliant. Thank you so much, Nicholas. So I know you brought some leaflets, which we can't give out today because of infection control and all that malarkey, but we would hope at a, a future date that we might be able to share those. Or if you're really interested, if you email Nicola, I'm sure she can send There's you also a, a Facebook a little, page. There's a Facebook page, so, so thank you. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you very much indeed, Nicola. No problem. Now, who knew there was a hymn for St Ninian written by the Glasgow and Galloway Diocese, and we're going to sing it. Um, if you know the advert for the Scottish Tourist Board, you'll know the tune.
Uh, first Bible reading today is from Exodus chapter 17. The whole Israelite community set out from the desert of Sin, travelling from place to place as the Lord commanded. They camped at Rephidim, and there was no water for the people to drink. So they quarrelled with Moses and said, Give us water to drink. Moses replied, Why do you quarrel with me? Why do you put the Lord to the test? But the people were thirsty for water there, and they grumbled against Moses. They said, Why did you bring us up out of Egypt to make us and our children and livestock die of thirst? Then Moses cried out to the Lord, What am I to do with these people? They are almost ready to stone me. The Lord answered Moses, Go out in front of the people. Take with you some of the elders of Israel, and take in your hand the staff with which you struck the Nile, and go. I will stand there before you by the rock at Horeb. Strike the rock, and water will come out of it for the people to drink. So Moses did this in the sight of the elders of Israel, and he called the place Massah and Meribah, because the Israelites quarrelled, and because they tested the Lord, saying, Is the Lord among us, or not? And our second reading is from John chapter 4. So he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about noon. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into the town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, You are a Jew, and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, You have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did also his sons and his livestock? Jesus answered, Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water, welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water.
If you'd had a, an order of service, it would say that the title of the sermon was Thirst, Water, Water, Everywhere, Nor Any Drop to Drink. The piece of paper I have says, Not the Sermon I Planned. Here's a beautiful picture. I think it's Rydal Water, and it's where I was on holiday just a few weeks ago in the Lake District. It looks idyllic, it looks peaceful. It was actually all four seasons in a day. But just along the road, where we were staying, in Ambleside, Windermere was so high that it had not only overtopped the pier, it had flooded the car park opposite. And this is a friend I was on holiday with who had waded out in her Wellingtons to stand by a sign. And we kind of followed the height of depth of the water day by day. It was really deep. And I was going to talk about things around water and climate change. Anybody remember this picture from last summer? This is Whaley Bridge in Derbyshire. Um, actually, my former college principal lives there, towards the top of one of the hills, so he was, and his wife were very fortunate. But floods caused that dam to start to break, and there was a real and present danger that everybody who lived there would be drowned. Thankfully, with the help of the emergency services and others, the level of the water in the reservoir was lowered and the, the, uh, the dam was repaired, and it survived the floods we've more recently had. And this is Hope Chapel Hebden Bridge, a Baptist church, where I have actually preached a couple of times. Um, it has been flooded three times in recent years. Uh, I love the name, Hope. It's, it's a, they're not easy people there, let's just put it that way. Um, I think they would allow me to say that. They probably think I'm not easy either, so that's fine. Um, but they have a, a kind of a grit and a ruggedness that some Yorkshire people have, and they, and they have been good to their community. But these questions around climate change and water and our relationship was what I was going to explore, and it's still important. So I have recorded what I wrote. I recorded it um, in the middle of the week when I wasn't sure if we were going to be meeting or not, and it will be put up online later today. Not quite sure where we're sorting out technology and what's going to work, but we will get it out there if anybody's interested in hearing my thoughts. But my week, like your week, I suspect, has been a bit topsy-turvy. On Tuesday morning, I received a phone call from the care home where I serve as chaplain, and they said, we're closed. Nobody out, nobody in. This was ahead of anything from any government on these islands. But okay. It reminded me very much of a tr an experience I had when I was in Leicestershire, and I was had a gentleman who came to our lunch club at our church, didn't have a church connection and had no family. And he was in Leicestershire, Leicester Royal Infirmary and he was dying. And unfortunately he developed an infection. And infection control meant that when I went to see him for the last time, I had to put on an apron, I had to put on one of those masks that looks like a duck's beak, not just the paper ones, actually a proper... Holly would know the name of it, I don't. Or, or Jeff, they could tell us what the right name for it, and, and gloves. And the only way I could hold his hand was with gloves. And as I came out, everything had to be pulled off in the correct manner and binned. But that man at end of life 
just longed for human touch. And I was very much reminded that on Tuesday because I've been called into that care home a few times to people who are end of life. And even before this thing gets going, there was a real human cost that I've been sitting with. The same day, I had an email from the University of Glasgow saying, oh, you're on chapel prayers next Wednesday, can you send us your hymn? Now, I know the University of Glasgow has now closed to students. I believe it has not yet closed to staff, and I'm yet to hear anything from the chaplaincy. However, I will be phoning them tomorrow morning or emailing them tomorrow morning to say, I assume that you are now closed if the university is closed. It's only ever a tiny service, two or three people and an organist. But a practice of meeting day to pray for the university is really important. And that is affected by what's happening around us. I've already mentioned that the work that's been going on behind the scenes, particularly with Anne, but all the managers are very aware that we have on the top of our agenda for next week how we're going to manage things over the coming months. We don't know what they're going to look like, but we are so determined to do our best to get this as, as good as we can, and, and it just keeps moving. I also had a phone call this week from a couple I'm due to marry in a fortnight. Uh, it's, a, it's a small wedding, about 40 people, and it's at Calen, where I've previously conducted a, a wedding for folk in our church. And they said, what, do you, what can we do? And so we've looked at alternatives, and I've asked them to please send me the registry, registry office number so I can speak to them, and we can look at what is manageable and what isn't. I think they've recognised the ceremony in its existing form can't happen, but it may be possible to do the legals now and the actual celebration and blessing at a later date. Now, that's just my story. If you think that we've all got stories like that, we've all had weeks like that, it multiplies, it affects all of us. So this is real stuff for all of us. There are sensible, common sense, practical things that we need to do to keep ourselves and others safe. And there's a real human cost for all of this as well. Um, I went to bed last night and didn't sleep. And then at 6.30 this morning, I just knew I had to ditch my sermon uh, and do something else. And there's something that's really stayed with me all week since this began. Um, this is a photograph of the village of Eam in Derbyshire. Um, if you grew up in the English Midlands, you can't really not know about it. I assume you know about it, Graham. You kind of grew up in very well. Yes, you grew up quite near there. I know Katrina knows about it, and, and Anne knows about it, because it came up in a conversation during the week. Eam is very famous because the plague arrived there in 1665, the same plague that was in London, the same plague that was across England, at least. I, I have to confess, I didn't check whether it got as far as Scotland. People didn't travel quite so far in those days, so naturally it was a little bit more contained. This is the graveyard at Eam, and there are old graves marked with a skull and crossbones where the plague victims are buried. I checked with Wikipedia, that fount of all accuracy, not this morning, um, just to make sure I get the story something like right. A bolt of cloth was ordered from London and brought to Eam. Not unusually in those days, it was infested with fleas, 
and within a week, the assistant of the tailor who had ordered it had died. And the disease spread, and more people began to die. And in those days, rectors and pastors were held in incredible esteem. It's almost like the Old Testament, really, where they kind of acted as doctors as well as um, spiritual people. And so the people went to their rector, the Reverend William Mompesson. That was the people that went to the parish church. But 1665 is around the time that Baptists and Congregationalists are breaking away from the Church of England. So there was also another congregation, and their minister was called Thomas Stanley. It's interesting that the, the Anglican had a pompous name and the Puritan didn't have such a common name. But they were kind of like two people, didn't really speak to each other, two separate communities. But the two clergymen came together to say, what are we going to do about this? How do we manage this disaster. And they agreed some precautions to be taken. And they managed to slow down the spread of the disease. So they decided where people could bury their dead and what that would mean in terms of how funerals were taken. They stopped meeting in the churches and they met out in the open air and they stood separate. Not unlike how spaces between the chairs. They did it back in 1665 with no science to back it up. So they would go there and they, and they started to stay apart to reduce the risk of infection. This plague lasted for 14 months. And during that time, people began to get a bit grumbly and wonder if it was working. A bit like that Exodus story, where the people grumbled and said, where's God in all of this? Moses, get us some water. What, you know, what's going on? Is God testing us? This is how the people felt then. And maybe that's how some people feel now. I firmly believe God is not testing us. I don't know why this has happened. I kind of understand a little bit of the science of how it spreads, but it is something that is happening. But it is not God punishing us. It's not God testing us. There are various figures about how many people survive from this village. We don't know the exact figures, but it could be between a third and a half of them died. That sort of order of people. But it started to slow down. But the wonderful thing is, because they did that, the other villages around weren't affected. And they began to realise that ah, this was a good thing to do. But there's a bit more to it. This stone stands to this day in a field on the outskirts of Eam. Can you see these little holes in the top? These were filled with vinegar, the best disinfectant antiseptic they, they were aware of at the time. And they had an agreement with people in other villages that they would bring food and supplies and leave them by the stone and go away again. And they, the villagers, would put coins into the vinegar, the holes with the vinegar in, to clean it, or as best they could, so that they would still have food to eat, but they would minimise the risk of spread. And there is something about that broader community helping each other looking out for each other, but being sensible, that balance between keeping community 
and keeping safe physically. This is a picture of last year's well dressing at Eme. It's a very Derbyshire thing. I've never come across it anywhere else. But it goes back to pagan times, and there were lots of natural wells in Derbyshire. And historically, people would have gone and worshipped the god or goddess of that well. Most of them got transformed into saints over time. But the tradition continues in the spring. These beautiful, incredibly complicated pictures are made out of flower petals and placed near the wells. And in the churches are services giving thanks to God for the gift of clean water. Sometimes they have like Disney characters or, or kind of contemporary themes, but usually there was at least one with a Christian theme. So last year at Eme, it was Jesus saying, I am the light of the world. It's very beautiful, but it's a lasting reminder of a tragedy and also of the God who is present within it. We had a story about another well this morning. It was Jacob's well. And Jesus was there. A man who was a rabbi, respected teacher, had quite a bit of power, even if he was not as powerful as the Pharisees or the Romans. But in his own country, he could come and go and, and do much as he wanted. But he wasn't in his own country. He was in a Samaritan area. And he was by a well. And he was thirsty. And he didn't have a bucket. And it was hot. And so he had to sit there and wait and wonder. He was vulnerable. Perhaps Jesus felt a bit like we feel at the moment. Not sure what to do for the best. And then came this woman. And her story has been told in many not helpful ways over the years. She was born with a tragic past. She had had five husbands. Maybe she'd been divorced five times. Maybe she'd been widowed five times. Maybe she'd been abandoned five times. We don't know. But she was feisty. And she was generous. Because she came and engaged with this foreign bloke. This bloke who described her as the other... John's Gospel tells us, Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Whoa, they're not like us. We don't deal with them. But Jesus makes himself vulnerable and says, can I have a drink, please? And so she gives him a drink, I think. It doesn't actually say that, but I can't imagine they had that great long conversation without needing a drink. Um, I always need a drink when I just do a, a medium-length sermon, so I'm sure they needed a drink. One of the things that really troubles me at the moment as I listen to the news is the othering. People referring to coronavirus, COVID-19, as that foreign virus or those people or whatever. And that's not helpful. That's really not helpful. We have to care for each other. We have to find ways of managing those boundaries that recognise our shared humanity, that recognise each one of us is made in the image and likeness of God. There are tough choices that we're going to have to make over the coming months to keep safe and keep well. But I know this community of Hellhead Baptist Church. I know we'll stick together. 
I know we'll look out for each other, and I believe we will also look out for those around us. And we will make those balanced decisions as best we can, and we might not always agree with what each other decides, but we will also do our best not to other each other if we disagree with what we do. Can I encourage you to look at the websites of the Baptist Union of Scotland, BMS, and the Baptist Union of Great Britain, and indeed those of other Christian traditions and other faith traditions? Because all of these are trying to hold together a really challenging tension between practical advice, pastoral concern, and prayer. There you go, that's the closest you're going to get to a three-point sermon from me. Practical, pastoral, prayerful. That's what we're asked to be. Sensible people, listening to the scientists, listening to those advisors, and taking sensible precautions. Pastoral people, looking out for each other, looking out for our neighbours. And prayerful people, remembering that God isn't testing us, that God is with us in all of this. And whether we're here next Sunday or whether we're in our homes doing some weird and wonderful live stream, if we ever suss out the technology, or whether we listen to Radio 4, or whether we read an improving book, or whether we walk in the hillside, God is with us. And through God's Spirit, we are one together. Remember the people of Eam. They didn't have any science but they had love for each other and love for God and love for their neighbour. Hmm, what was it Jesus said? Love God, love your neighbour, love yourself. And so we're going to sing another beautiful um, song to the Malig Sprinkling song, I think is the name of the tune, and inviting God to... Fill us with living water. And I suggest that that living water includes that three-way love. Thanks, Paul.
Now let us bring our prayers for ourselves and for others. As pants the heart for cooling streams when heated in the chase, so longs my soul, O God, for thee and thy refreshing grace. O God, our Father, we come to you in prayer this Sunday morning, and overshadowing all our thinking is the threat of the coronavirus. It has been visited upon us uninvited and unwelcome. It has brought with it an abrupt reset of our living patterns, of the world economic landscape, of our optimism for the future, of our smug confidence that our modern technological world can overcome all obstacles. Once again, we have become aware of our own mortality and the fragility of life itself. And in that awareness, help us to be conscious that whatever may befall, you are with us to the very ends of the earth. At the same time, we would pray for all who have responsibility for ordering the affairs of the nations at this testing time. We think of those in government, those responsible for our hospitals, those who urgently seek a remedy for those already affected and for the future of the health of all of us. At this time, we are perhaps more aware than ever of the fact that the globe is home to us all and, no, and that no part of this earth is separate from any other. We pray that this may be united in our hearts, might make united efforts in our hearts to tackle this worldwide emergency and find a way through to brighter days. We come here today from the busyness of our daily lives and apart from the wider world landscape, we each have our own issues and concerns. We give thanks for all that has been good in life, for the many blessings we've received and the joy that has come to us in our community of family, of church and from our friends in the wider society. Grant us peace, calm our anxious minds, quieten the turmoil of our thoughts and help us to rest in your everlasting arms which are always there to sustain us in all the challenges and trials of life. May this hour of worship be a blessing and a boon to us as we learn more of you, as we sing your praises, as we unite in prayer, and as we find encouragement to live out the faith in the everyday. And as we reflect in this way, we would bring to you our thoughts and prayers for these persons and communities. We pray, first of all, for Will and Grace, valued members of our church family, sometimes separated by distance, but always together in our thoughts. We ask that your blessing will be with them in all their living and working. Today we also pray for Nancy, who despite her recent sad loss of Douglas, shows so much love and concern for others. We give thanks for Nancy and pray for her and her family as they continue to adjust to life as it changes. And we also pray for Lizzie and Petrie, who fairly recently have become part of our church family. We are delighted to have them coming among us, and we pray for them in their continuing journey of faith. On the wider horizon of the Baptist Union of Scotland, we are asked to pray today for the churches at Cathcart and Castle Milk. May each fellowship be blessed as they work among and witness to their own distinct communities. And the BMS Prayer Guide asks us to uphold in prayer Christians in South Sudan 
and particularly the, the displaced South Sudan people. And so, dear Lord, we bring all these petitions to you, from our uncertain wider world to the individual needs of our church family, to the concerns and witness of our Scottish Baptist churches and the complex issues concerning Christians in Africa. And at the end, we would offer up the secret worries and anxieties of our own hearts. Lord God, we thirst for strength, for healing, for courage, and above all, for peace. Help us once more to realise the promise that your care never ends and you love each one of us as if we were the only one to love. Amen. Loving God, as we bring our gifts of money, 
And as some of us have made our gifts through direct debit or standing order or other ways, we thank you that you receive them and you receive us. Help us to employ our gifts of money wisely and well to share the good news and the love of Christ in our community and beyond. Amen. I came to Jesus as I was, weary and worn and sad. I found in him a resting place, and he has made me glad. hug and we can't kiss and we can't shake hands but we can greet each other uh, in a kind of eastern way with a salam a namaste a shalom so shalom namaste the sacred in me greets and blesses the sacred in you may god grant to those who are weary rest those who sorrow comfort those who are sick healing those who hunger nourishment those who thirst refreshment. And may the living water of God's spirit cleanse, refresh and invigorate us and all people 
and indeed all the earth, now and always. Thank you.